Welcome to the Film Situation Podcast. Ruben Rodas, welcome to the Film Situation Podcast. So pleased to have you on, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So I guess tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us just a little bit of an introduction to who you are. Okay. Yeah, I am a filmmaker, just like yourself, obviously. <laughs> I started back in 1995. That was back like a long time. Yeah, it's like a long time now. Yeah, so I started, I was always... So you, were, say, you started say, off pretty young. Yeah, I started very young. Tried to make a long story short is that at the time I was, I think I was like... 16 or something like that and uh, so someone just invited me and said hey what are you doing this summer for after school and everything i didn't have any plans and was dating this girl and so she basically goes hey i'm uh, like my uncle i'm working this tv show you want to come and help and I, sure and i came in and i didn't really knew anything about i'm always very uh, i was a very fun of uh, cinema and, and tvs but I was just excited to come. Oh, I'm working on a TV show like I'm, I'm a kid and tell us a little bit about like your background and where you're from so oh yes Sorry about that. Sorry no, it's that. okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was born and raised in South America, in Paraguay. So you first got interested in film over there? And, yeah. And I'm sure you grew up watching movies and I, being a fan of movies, dude, right? Yeah, I grew up watching the movies. The whole story goes like this. I, was a, uh, I come from a military family, and my dad was in charge of some days, I think at two, ti- two times a, a month, he will show a movie for the troops and it has this 35 millimeter projector and then he will bring it home and i will watch with my friends like at movies on actual 35 millimeter oh yeah, yeah oh that's yeah. pretty cool so and I, yeah one of my you never told me that yeah i never told you this story yeah. oh this is great my earliest memory about loving filmmaking and cinema in general was like my dad will bring that 35 millimeter projector at home and we'll watch like ton and jerry or wiley coyote and i was like like the projector was just right here. We put a blanket over like the, the wall and like a white sheet and then project it and in that room and mom will do chocolate and cookies and we'll eat it. But then I was like start even, I wasn't even like watching the movie. I watched the movie a little bit, but I was very fascinated by this, like the sound and the light and I would get dusty and I would like, I would do this thing, I look back and forth. What is it? What is, what's going on here? How did this happen? It's like, I thought it was like really magical. It was great. So I wanted to learn more about it. And then I think it was like, I can't quite remember. It was an uncle. Somebody like for my birthday, give me like this like super eight camera. And I started doing like mini tiny, teeny like movies when I was like a kid with like uh, ships and everything. And I was very, I'm always very fascinated about special effects. And that was the thing that I love about movies. How do they do this movies? Like watch Star Wars and all the movies, Star Trek and things like that. And then. How do they do these movies? Watching, you, you were trying to understand it from I was a trying, very young age. Yeah, I was trying to understand how they do it. They did it, and um, and I saw to the point like, okay, I, I, I got a camera. I want to try to be creative, and I just have this like small sort of spaceship, and I put it on a, on a, on a, a fisher fisher line. And what I'll do is I like, close all my windows, but I will leave just like a small space. And the light would come in, and then like a really a flicky flicky my my blanket, and all the dust will come up right. And then I'll roll the camera and I'll just do like this with a fishing line. I'll like just go in front of the two ships that were like coming in. And I just put in, I was just playing. I was a kid. Yeah. But, but from that moment, I, already, I was always very fascinated about special effects. I wanted to know more about movies. I always loved I was going to movies all the time. I'm begging my dad to bring movies home and also let's just go to movies. Let's go to movies. Let's go to movies. And my big experience, I remember when I, this is like a very vivid moment. There was like a whole big event i remember we um i watched like superman one and two back to back love the superman i was a oh f- superman fanatic just watching those movies on re- repeat was, one two and three i used it to was watch amazing yeah. yeah i even have a whole outfit like i don't at this point i'm like i don't know nine maybe eight can't remember really i don't i, I do remember the experience and it was like the most amazing experience I ever had because like in this gigantic kind of like IMAX equivalent of a screen and, and we I know what and we watch it back to back yeah. so Christopher Reeves Superman 1 Superman 2 and it was just amazing and from that moment on really I think I, I really want to do something like this and like every kid you know, oh, I want maybe I want to be an actor and uh, I have a great aunt and she was a really good theater director and so I took a couple like acting classes with her and we did a, a small plays here and then but 
I wasn't too. I like I like theater, but I wasn't too. It wasn't your is, bag. Yeah, this is not. I like the moving pictures better. But I, I guess I, at least I was within the arts. Yeah, and I feel like that's how it starts, like tinkering around with like your dad's camera. Like I was the same way. My dad had a video camera when I was twelve years old. It was like a high eight camcorder. Yeah. That I just became obsessed with. I'm like, how is this cool? And then every time I did a school project where we could opt for an oral presentation or we could opt to do the video. I always did the video every single time. Oh, yeah, it was great. In, in yeah. fact, I was so fascinated about it that I remember I was like, I think I was in fifth grade or something like that. And uh, our teacher gave us like, a, a science teacher gave us like, a, hey, a homework. You're going to do a presentation about something like related physics. And I remember I said, I'm going to do this presentation about how light traveled through space because it has to do with optics also. And I did this whole like really cool presentation with a candle, whatever, blah, blah. And the whole really concept of how an image is projected on the back of uh, a surface or whatever, which is like the concept of the mermaid concept of photography and cinematography itself and uh, understanding how lights uh, bounce out of object and then how uh, colors are reflected. And then also in the optics, how the images goes from one point into another and it's reverse and then it's, it's you can see it on the surface right i did this whole it was for me it was like a, i'm going to the moon with this project you know what i mean yeah and it was great and that also launched into me having been more curious about movie and the technologies and the equipment and everything that goes into and uh, naturally go to school and i'm actually my i'm actually my first i have a degree on engineering electronics and which later it's all about all the knowledge and technology that, that now we have with filmmaking it goes hand to hand which is great that's and, true and yeah. it, it gave me a, a little bit more a deeper understanding how the equipment works and how the technology like the ccd sensors oh and yeah thing, things oh, yeah. like that charge coupled devices uh, like how that revolutionized sort of digital yeah. technology it is amazing yeah. it's amazing how far we have come since just exactly those cct cameras and yeah. sensors and TV it really cameras. changed i feel and i've been saying this over the years a lot i really feel like digital technology has democratized the process right because it used to be if you were shooting on film you needed just a lot more money to buy a film stock to to rent like a 35 millimeter camera and versus now i always say it's like the digital camera did for the filmmaker what the pen and paper did for the writer at some point and so at some extent yes to it, some extent yeah you, you are right yeah because i think the main difference was always was accessibility to resources that's the way that i like to think about it because I, i'm still a huge fan of film and there's just some magic about shooting something in film that we're not quite there yet with all the technology that we have so far we're getting there but though, man we, yeah we're getting there absolutely but i would say this yes you're right with especially for the past just 10 years yeah you know? i was just thinking that because when we first started working together ruben and i have collaborated together on, on a number of projects we shot right. a short film that i directed and ruben helped me produce it and, you know, just thinking in the last 10 years since that project, that was in 2012, and just where digital wow. technology was <laughs> then versus where it is today exactly. has been leaps and bounds. Exactly. Yeah, you yeah. Know? At the time. And in fact, that was the, one of the main reasons that also it was easier for us to make that movie because we had access to that sort of... That's true. We shot it at, on a red camera at that time, which was like the cutting edge... It was like it was the, like the state of the art, absolutely you know, of what it could be. Of so, despite it being 2012, we did shoot it on a camera that was more higher end cameras oh, of what we could have done. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that that's what I said about you had so much more resources right now that uh, that are accessible than be, before. Was like you got to have a good relationship with a rental house. You got to not even let's start for the movie. You got to wait for studio to greenlead your project. First of all, if they actually bought into the idea, oh, this is a good project. So now we can just make movies. We can That's make, true. We can just use our phone. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there were certain filmmakers that back, even back 50 years ago, they were taking that approach. Like John Cassavetes was like a really seminal sort of filmmaker that made a movie called Shadows. And he made a movie called The Faces. And I know he was super inspirational to like a later generation of filmmakers like Martin Scorsese because he was just, just grabbing a camera and just with actors on the street, resources that they can get and just making movies. And I know that was like super inspiring. Then, of course, there was the French New Wave 
with Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard that they were just grabbing cameras. They were like, we're, n- we're not even going to worry about the audio. We're gonna just going to dub everything in later right. on. And then they just had this sort of, I always compare that to like what the French new wave was and then the American new wave, what they were for cinema. It was almost like what, like it was the version of what punk rock was like music. In, in a way it is. And because, and, and you're absolutely right. And I always say this, filmmaking hasn't really changed in a hundred changed years the process is really the same and you're absolutely right yeah. and all those guys they were like oh let's get together let's make the movie i have the sort of this idea or so and so has a camera or we can get this thing that's why i said that it just the accessibility to the resources change especially when we're talking about the industry itself because that's one of the things that i always sometimes talk about we gotta understand that this is it is an industry right and but the process of making movies is always the same you got a story and you got some friends that get excited about it and we put those guys did it that way on uh, back in the day. They still doing it today as to say in the baseline of how to make movies. But numbers are different and procedures are different and we have everything just so upscale now. Yeah. And I'm talking about that highest like the highest level like Marvel Marvel exactly. films and things like that. But although I do and I want to unpack that in a few minutes. Yeah. Because since you're of like such a fan of you've mentioned visual effects and things like that. Yeah. Do you think, and not to just jump around, but do you think that like talking about resources and talking about really huge, let's talk about movies that sort of are really visual effects heavy that are coming out nowadays. Do you think VFX is still not where it should be in terms of, do you think some of these movies that are coming out now in 20 years from now, people are going to be like, Oh God, that looks so dated looking if it's a really vision that's what i that's my thought i feel like vfx is as state as the art as it is now and i'm a big practical effect. i love practical effects so do i but i just i feel like to some extent we're going to be watching these movies these huge budget movies in 20 years from now and be like oh my god that looks horribly dated yeah no absolutely and look and you are absolutely right because this is just the, how technology works, right? I don't know. I, I think I had my first iPhone back in 2003, I like to think. 2007 is when they were introduced. Yeah, 2007. Yeah, yeah. You, you're absolutely right. Because yeah. I had another phone. But when my, to my point is like... Yeah, but you, you know, might have had a precursor to... I know I had a Samsung before, smartphone before that. In 2003, I had my first smartphone. So it was a... It was. I remember I had a, some sort of Motorola right. phone that could take photos and videos and i'm like wow this is it's great crazy yeah, yeah. I remember that i'm um, obviously needless to say you and i were a generation x so we grew up uh in the making of the technology and that's what happens because back in the day you have this phone and say, oh my i was just so amazing we can just send a text or take that crappy picture that is crappy for us now but back but like the, 20 yeah. years ago that was like it was a big deal yeah that was like the ak of today that's true so yeah, I think it's all relative is what you're saying. I think it's just the regular trajectory of evolution, right? Yeah. As we get in better technology, better tools to, uh, this is not only just speaking of movies, speaking life in general, we get accustomed much faster about uh, this is the norm right now. Because, and I tell you why, because I just to jump a little bit really quick, but I just shot a trailer for a feature science, science fiction space movie that we're developing with a friend of mine. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just going to mention <laughs> something else in re- regards yeah. to this topic. And I draw a lot of inspiration from the original Alien movie. Really and I went, Scott, yeah. Yeah, and I went back and watched it. I was like, that movie is amazing. It's amazing. And also, and you I, know I, what else is amazing? 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, no. L- I, like, yeah. I saw that in the theater. And even though that was made in 1968, it fucking blew me away. To it's, see it, you really realize in all its glory when you see it in the movie theater. That's exactly my point, right? Movies like that. I, I love that movie, absolutely. Like, one one of my favorite science And, and to be clear, and, I wasn't around in 1968. That was before my time. But <laughs> in, to, in 2018, they did a yeah. re-showing at the IFC Center, like a 50-year anniversary of the right, film. But my... my Okay, let's take, for example, that and that movie. I just I would just mention Alien because I was referred to the movie that I just shot because I was looking for somewhat of inspiration of on the mood of the movie. But I'm, as I'm watching that movie, as you also watch Odyssey 2001, the movie, you watch and you get immersed in the story and you forget about, oh, it was actually done on set for real and it, everything that takes place. And nowadays we just do it on the computer and we take it for granted too. 
And I got to be honest with you, with all the technology and as, as much as these bigger Marvel Avenger movies are amazing with the effects and everything, they're not quite gripping or affecting that much as, oh, that was a real thing. They build that stuff and they made it work and all sorts of like optic streaks and camera movement and whatnot, smoking mirrors. So I was watching those things and I was watching on a little more deeper level of understanding, oh, they were going for this concept, for then making a movie that technically is supposed to take place X amount of time in the future. That was their vision of the future. Yeah. So, I mean, and some things on a conceptual level, they were spot on. Like in, in Space Odyssey 2001, when the guy made that phone call, and it's basically what we have now is FaceTime. Right. He That's was right. making a FaceTime call, right? Yeah. And that movie was shot when? That movie was like from... The 60s. The 60s. Yeah. But the concept is there. Yeah. So it's just like the tool and the technology that change. So it, I'll tell you, I that's... And this is something, this is also a concept I talk about a lot, like certain movies that are only fully appreciated in the cinema. Like I'm a big sort of proponent of seeing movies in the cinema. And Absolutely. it depends on, some could be arguably as impactful at home, but there's some that really, they're not as impactful at home compared to watching it in on a giant screen with a group of people. And 2001 is absolutely one of those movies. Like for years, I tried to watch that movie and tried to get into it. And I watched it on TV, watched it at home, watched it in science class. And I'm like, I don't know. For some reason, I just don't connect with this movie. Yeah. And then I saw it, like I said, in 2018 at the IFC Center on the big screen and it fucking blew me away. It is truly amazing. Just to do a quick refer, and I believe it's a C or a AMC. Maybe? AMC, yeah, yeah. And they have this ad right before the movie started and Nicole Kidman comes in and it has this whole monologue and talk about it. And her punching line is really, we want to see all this, our dreams come true in the silver screen. And she goes and look at the camera and really goes and says, because here, they're true. And it's the yeah. experience. And I, just like you, I am a big fan of, I watch movies on the theater all the time. Yeah. All it, the time. Same. Especially the ones that I really want to watch. Yeah, of course, it's nice to be watch and do things, watch things at home and all that. But for me, it really is still like the experience of going to the movies. Coming back to that point that I was telling you when I was just eight years old and I'm like, I have this whole full on Superman outfit and I'm going to watch Superman back to back. And the whole experience, like sitting there and watching and a little bit of popcorn and whatever, you're in it. Yes, you're in that you're immersed in it. Yes. Role, right? That's the key word, you're in it. And that sort of concept of like full immersion, that's something that I think sometimes could only happen in that dark room. And I think that even when you're at home, it used to be, I'm sure there's people that still do this now and it's still tradition, but I remember even being a kid, if we were like watching a movie and it was like time to watch a movie, we were like, all right, it's time to move, watch a movie. Let's make some popcorn at home. Let's turn off the lights right. and let's focus in. It wasn't like, hey, we're just going to throw it on. I'm going to be like texting my friends on my phone. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we, this might be a broader sort of topic that I'm yeah. touching upon, but I feel like we live in times where people's attentions are just oh, more the fragmented. Like, the attention span is just so short right now. And I think that's why podcasting to me is interesting because it's a return to more of a long form conversation. It's not just like a two minute clip of something. It's like, hey, we're having a full on conversation here. So, so yeah. what you said about immersion, that is really the key thing because I never got into 2001 A Space Odyssey, not because it wasn't a brilliant film. Of course it is. It's a masterpiece but it's just because I was in whatever situations where I wasn't giving it my full attention. I wasn't fully immersed. And then you need to be part of the hypnosis. Like some, yes. like film, when it's effective, it's almost like hypnosis. Like it's cinema. Cinema is like being hypnotized. You're that's sucked exactly, into the film. I'm into this film. I'm that's, that's exactly right. For that running time of the movie, your real life stop. You're in the movie. Right, I mean, at least the way I perceive well said, and yeah, so that's why I that's why I, I love going into movies. Yeah, uh, same. And of course, that 
is as to say also the experience gets better when you're watching a really good movie that you're resonate with yourself and then we can talk about the story the characters whatever that might be i always use the example of the revenant did you see that movie oh yeah i saw it you it's, saw it in the theater it's great oh yeah absolutely. yeah an IMAX. that's a movie got that to. you need to you see got, you gotta theater. watch an IMAX. so people that i say hey, have you seen the revenant and they loved it chances are they saw it in the theater yeah if i say did you see the revenant they're like, yeah, I, I saw it, but I didn't really like it. Where did you watch it? I watched it at home. It's no. different. It's different. No. You got. I mean, watch. if you're at home, you're texting, you're eating, and you gotta watch it. You're eating food. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's. I saw it in a movie theater where I went to go see. There's actually uh, the Alamo for people that are familiar with the Alamo Draft House, <laughs> and actually the movie theater that you could actually order food, like you could order dinner and yeah. stuff like that. I didn't even. I got so into the movie. I'm like, I'm not even going to eat food. I'm not going to be sitting here eating a cheeseburger yeah. while this main character oh, is like no, starving. Yeah. I felt like it's somehow. I do. Oh yeah, I, I'm with you. But on, on the topic of eating, I do get a little. I might. I might alienate so many people by saying this. But I do get a little annoyed by. People like really eating very loudly at the movies. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, popcorn is one thing, but nowadays they have some. And I'm like, so that's why also I have a tendency to go to movies like to the very first showtime or the very last when nobody wants to be there. And I'm just, it's me and like five more guys. I know, know what you mean. I'm really, not a big opening night right, sort of right. guy. I know like some people like to go opening night. and but some, just, I, I like to wait till yeah. it winds down sometimes I, a couple. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I but, saw the movie Phantom. Not Phantom Threat, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie. Jesus, how did, how did I forget the name of the movie? <laughs> Licorice Pizza. Licorice oh, Pizza. Oh, so you liked it? I yeah, haven't, I, haven't, I, haven't I it really yet. liked it. And it was a rare thing because it happened to be like a rainy day or something. And huh. I was literally the only human being inside that movie theater. Nice. It was like See, the like, whole yeah. movie theater. And it was, I was like, oh, this is cool. I like that because I, I go with two friends and we're the only ones in the movie. And it's, it, it's fucking great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I yeah. like it both sometimes. There's times where I like to see a movie and it's it's cool to see people reacting to well, certain things. Like I said, they're movies and movies. They're, they're truly movies that are like truly lead to the expression of popcorn movie. That's true. And we just yeah. we just go there and time pass by and yeah. you got a few laughs and it's cool and then life moves on. I saw the Thor, the new Thor movie, Love and Thunder. That was yeah. like that. It happened to be, I went with my wife, we had a little date night. And it happened to just be, it was like the next thing that was playing. We were just like, hey, let's check out what's playing. That's yeah. like the next thing playing. We saw that. And I was actually, that was, to me, it was one of those kind of movies. Like, I, yeah. I liked that it was a sort of lighthearted in tone. It was funny. And it was like good sort of popcorn. Oh, no, kind yeah, of yeah. And yeah, and I like that as well. I'm a sucker for that thing. There's, there's certain, obviously, this is, we're touching on a personal level, certain people that like certain type of movies for this reason and uh, some other people that like more of the sort of kind of dark, artistic, crunchy movies. And I'm like, all right, maybe I'm not that smart and I don't get it. Or I would say this as an industry, there's a lot of really big horror movies and all that and like people love it. I'm not one of them. I'm, I don't really. There are certain movies that I probably borderline horror movie but they're not really horror movie they're more like a thriller suspense movie they're like really great movies yeah they're, but I they're not really horror. i, I can't I categorize myself as like this a uh, die yeah. hard horror fan oh i like them when i was yeah. a kid i really loved them i loved like friday the 13th and then nightmare on elm street and then yeah. I remember when i was a kid I mean, I when i was a kid it was on channel 11 there was channel 11 in new york city that yeah they would show it was like, if it was Friday the 13th, they would show Friday the 13th. So like for me, look, you know? so here's an example for my personal taste. And I understand where you're coming from because a lot of people also might say even older movies, those are the ones that you mentioned, even they're actually watchable by me. <laughs> yeah. But that's just me. But I would say the Exorcist one. Yeah, right? great film. That, that's, but that's, I don't know, some people consider that, oh, that's a horror movie. Nah, I would say it's a horror film. No? I, I would definitely say I it's would, a horror film. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I would... They definitely have some horror elements in it. That movie freaked I, me out when I first saw it. Exactly, but I consider that movie more of a thriller suspense. Like, The Shining is not really, like, a horror movie either, but, man, you're, like, you freak the shit out of many... I mean, that yeah. that famous scene with Nicholson when he, like... Yes. ...hacks the door and pucks his face and... Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. Oh my God. Yeah. Or, or with the two, the twins coming and like with the thing and it's like, whatever they singing. And that's fucking creepy. You know what I mean? I didn't realize, I don't think until later on, that, that movie wasn't like a smash hit when it first came out. It wasn't like necessarily critically acclaimed. 
Right, because that, it was more appreciated later on, I think. And, and that's what happens because, like I said, there are many movies out there, especially today, that we have so much movies, right? That it just catered to a different type of audience, right? They're the audience that they like, they love. Gosh, I don't know how to say this. There's some movies that a lot of people say, oh my God, it's the best movie ever. And they even they got Oscar nomination. I'm looking at the movie and I'm like, this is just a piece of crap. And I cannot yeah. believe they spent $150 million making this piece of crap. But that's just the, the industry. So either... Right. So the, and the answer is simple. I recognize this. I simple. I'm just not the audience. That's simple. Right. It's subjective. Exactly. The answer is that it's, sub, it's just like food. Like somebody could taste a yeah. meal and be like, wow, this is a culinary masterpiece. Somebody else could take right. it, taste it and be like, I don't want to eat another bite. Yeah, and, so, and so it ties into, yeah, there's an audience for different sorts that's, of that's things. Exactly. That's where myself, I try to balance the filmmaker and the movie gore. I guess the way I look at it, and it's the same with, me, I would say, music. There might be certain films that I have a proclivity to watch more than others, certain genres. But my mentality is if it's really well made and it's really, I'll watch it. Like, I'll give it a chance no matter what genre it is because if it's that good then it transcends the genre there's certain films just probably like certain musics like there's certain albums from certain artists that like okay if it's like a if it's like a three out of five maybe it's for fans only of that genre but if it's like a five out of five then it transcends the genre and everybody's gonna like it yeah look i'm a true cinephile right if something is like making a boom and everybody's like, okay, and I'm like, okay, what is it all the fuss? Did about? you see? So Man- I'm just gonna go. By the way, see speaking it, of which, you know? did you see Mandy, the Nicolas Cage movie? That was a horror film that was talked about a few years ago. That came out, I think, in 2018 or 2019. I haven't seen it yet, and but I, I, know I just saw that about. recently. Even there is this movie I really want to watch that everybody's really praising about it is that he did his pig. I haven't quite. Oh, Pig was amazing. I haven't quite got the time to. It was, you have to see it. Yeah, and, I, and I'm pretty so, sure. It's I, so I, good. I loved it. And then I, obviously I saw the other one that he, the, the, the comedy that he made with. The unbearable weight of massive oh, talent. Uh, that, that was, was good. amazing. I loved like, it. Just speaking of like making fun of yourself. and But it, it generally was a really good movie. But yes, you're right. Myself, again, as a filmmaker, I watched a lot of crap time to time just because I wanted, I want to see what the fuss is about. And I tried to rescue, oh, you know what? This actually. Some of the effects in this movie was actually very well done. I tried to rescue the good stuff from the goodness. Uh, yeah, it. out of whatever. That makes sense. I, but, I try but to again, do the same that's, thing. But that, that's personal, right? So I used to do that even more so when I first was like really. I, I do it a little bit less now. I still do that. I still like will try to like. I always try to kind of extract things that I like or pay attention to things that like, are working. And you just remind me on the same subject. I, I remind me of one thing that. Tarantino said once, you go into film festivals, right? And he was like, all right, all right, let me tell you something about film festivals, right? He goes, going to film festivals, going, it's like going to a milk tasting contest. He goes, you got to taste a lot about milk before you get a good one. He goes, and it's true. You and I, we've done <laughs> a lot funny. of film festivals. Yeah. And you just watch things like somebody oh, just shoot me now. Right, yes. But at the same time, I want to believe on the magic of making movies. And, and I, to the point that I admire, because... Those people, they put their heart and soul into this movie. Whether I hate it or not, they did it. And I'm a huge fan of applauding that effort and that you make a movie. 100%. So you made a movie, right? And come back to that point that I was saying, I tried to divide myself, put my balance between a filmmaker and an audience. This is just not, I'm just not the audience for this movie. But I was like, kudos to you. You make a movie and... I fucking hate you for it. Because <laughs> I'm also trying to make my movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So talking about your work a little bit and looking at your IMDb page, you have actually a lot of, you have like an eclectic amount of credits where like some films you're a producer mm-hmm. on, some films you're a writer, some films you're a DP and, and that sort of thing. Is there, do you have a preference of kind of what you want to do on certain projects yeah yeah i am obviously you know me but i am often said i'm one of those rare but you know how they're like writer directors producer directors right or and i am a director cinematographer and because i'm a very visual director as well however i always said and and some of the few events that, that 
they invited me to talk a little bit more about my experience in filmmaking. I said, you can do, you can choose to be the sound guy or the makeup girl or whatever, but you have to have at least good, solid, basic knowledge of production, how to, how a movie is made. Even if, like say, you're there just to make it, to, to put the crafty. You see what I mean? I'm a true believer that you have to have a good understanding of production. So that's why... Uh, yes, yeah, I, like I, a big understanding of the fundamentals. Correct. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you there. So, of course, with that being said, if you strive to be a director, and I can't separate really the director from the cinematographer or even the writer sometimes. At the end of the day, you combine all those hats and you have to be a producer, right? Now, so that goes... I say I, the same thing, especially on the independent film. Exactly. Especially right. on the indie film. If you want to be a filmmaker... And you think that you're not going to do some level of producing as an independent filmmaker, no. then you're like delusional. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thinking that you're just going to show up on set and everything's going to be perfectly laid out and you didn't have to get involved in any of the logistics. That is a luxury. And if you can get to that point, God bless. But like, that's just not the reality to, of most situations. And I've worked with some awesome producers like mm-hmm. y- you amongst them. And and obviously, shout out to George Rudai, who was recently on the Film Situation Podcast. But we've we've always embraced that. And this is something that I talk about a lot is you have to have wear multiple hats. It's just we just don't always but, have the luxury to not. Correct. So, so my point across always, I always make this point across when I said, all right, if you are the director, because this is like the big hat right after the producer, right? One of the main things that the director actually do is to communicate his ideas and his vision to everybody especially the head of departments right now it will be in your best benefit if you do understand the process so when you communicate something about production design you understand how production design works and you ask him exactly what you need and in language that it will be easier for everybody. When I, I don't, I'm not saying you have to be an expert, but you have to communicate and say, hey, I'm thinking about the scene where it takes place. When this guy's realized that he's, I don't know, he's about to get murdered. Is, it's a small round down apartment where the drywall is falling apart. You see what I just did there, right? I just described exactly certain materials or things that I think is valuable for this scene. And the production designer understood that. Oh, yeah, I, I see. It. And I know exactly what I'm going to do with my prop uh, master and blah, blah, blah. We make it happen. That also, in back of your head, it's not really, quote, unquote, your job to thinking about numbers. Is like, how much is this going to cost me? You have to think if this money coming out of your pocket as well. Because the producer, that's, the producer is going to come to you and say, bro, we don't have it. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I always say, even as a writer of indie films, like you have to be conscious like obviously of the budget, like a smart filmmaker's right for the budget that the film is going to be. Because each sort of thing dictates its own sort of budget. And if you're writing a movie that you intend on making, and then all of a sudden the first beach, the first scene of the movie is like they stormed the beach at Normandy. You know what I mean? You got to be real about what you could pull off or not. But this is the beauty. Okay, I'm always say, just write the super mega movie that you're going to make and envision it the way you are. And then just like chess, kind of take a one step back for a second and think, okay, how can I make that a scene happen with, and then he goes like, how much money we have? And then, all right, let's, uh, the best example I always make is we can't afford a helicopter shot, but maybe we can use a drone, but we can't afford the drone. I'm thinking, what if we put it in a crane? Well, we can't afford the crane. Shit, I got it. Let's move this scene to this park where I have a friend that lives on the eighth floor and we can sh- I can shoot it down. You see what I mean? Exactly. Like, that's the nope. thinking, creative yeah. thinking. I'm a big believer. I And I like that. I like how you say, and there's a lot of filmmakers that think that way too. Wes Anderson is one of them. Like, I, oh, yeah. I, If you really explore how he makes his films, it's really fascinating. There's, there might be a scene that takes place on a train and it's like the inside of a train, but instead of shooting it in the interior of a moving train... They just have, they production design like a backdrop of a train car. They put it side by side with a dolly and they have that thing moving. Yeah. So the actors are like sitting in some little carriage and they, they just have that one shot of the character looking like they're looking outside of a train window. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's just like a wall like that's like moving and like next to dolly tracks. Oh, no, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, wow, no. that's like really creative. Exactly. That's a creative way to keep the budget down. And that's just smart filmmaking right 
absolutely. And then and at the same time, what is brilliant about it is that you didn't really compromise the essence of your a scene. The 100%. scene is still taking place. You just got creative about how I'm going to execute. This is the thing that I always talk about. How are you going to execute? And I think this is, I grew up in a military family myself, a, 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 a bed and all that. And every mission and everything that we put on, on, on test to do is, all right, this is the objective of the mission. How are we going to execute? And we come up with the best plan and we stick to the plan and we make it happen with everything we have. You see what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I like that because it's very practical. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you're not overthinking it. You're not like doing things in a roundabout sort of way. It's just okay. Here's the objective, and how do we make it happen? Yeah, and filmmaking is like that. We well, there's know. a big part of it that's like that, 100. percent Yeah, now, especially when you're dealing with your crew. Right now, right. when you're dealing with actors, it could be a little bit different. It could be more, a little bit more esoteric. It could be a little bit more you know, yeah, like you have to. I always say like when you're as a director. When you're working with your crew, I always say it's like when you're working with the crew, it's like a military operation. But when you're working with your cast, they can't know about the military operation. They can't feel that true, part true. of it necessarily. But, but, but what I mean by that, by the whole example is like, hey, this is what we need to accomplish in this movie. And this is the plan. How are we going to make it happen? And we just make, we all working together to make that happen. Because this is also one thing that I always talked about. We just have to make sure that everybody's doing the same movie. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like, I like that because yeah, because I, I like to give everybody scripts and not just sides and say, hey, hey, have you read the script? How you read this? Because especially when it comes when it's something like, look, I get it. In a big scale movie, in a big budget movie, maybe it, the best boy don't really know what's going on, and a lot of the time, a lot of the crew they don't really know what's going on. They just know that today we're shooting in this apartment and. We got to fly a condor and put this extra amount of lights here. And then we have a moving a company move and on the street where we're going to set up the techno crane. The, the technician is just setting up his thing. He don't know what the scene is about. And a lot of people have the mentality that he don't have to do. I'm diverting a little bit on that. I like to think that you have to know at, at least at a certain degree what exactly we were trying to accomplish here for the end result of the movie. So it becomes about... We're making a movie together. It's like the other sample is sometimes, and this is a common mistake that a lot of younger filmmakers make. It's like, oh, they hire a, a DP for, because, oh, the, this guy has a red, right? And he's not really quite experienced, but he took the opportunity for frequency thinking, oh, I can get this really great shot. But the, that great shot don't have to do anything with the mood of the movie because he's, so he's shooting it for his reel. Correct. He's not shooting it for the movie. Yes. And or and all, the same goes with, Everybody else, the makeup, all the writers, we had to be on the same page making the same movie. 100%, man. Said, and I always say, a good DP could shoot beautiful images, but a great DP shoots images that elevate the story. And they have a keen understanding. Like the great DPs that Absolutely. I've been around have a super keen awareness of what's happening on a moment-by-moment level of the story. Yeah. And that, to me, is what kind of separates like the good to the great ones. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then for me, like also again, that trickles down all the way to the last background PA. Yeah. Cause we making Akira Kurosawa very famously says to make a movie takes a village. So you gotta be in the movie. hundred percent, man. So I guess we're, we're going to kind of get to the second portion of the podcast where we talk about some movie scenes, but right. Tell us a little bit about what are you working on next? Is there what, what's on the in the pipeline for you? This uh, also, I'll be true to to myself and always try to balance my life and my objectives as a, what's next for me as, as a professional and all of that. And a daily daily basis, it's fair to say that about sixty percent of the work I do is commercial, right? Which I do enjoy that a lot and all that. Uh, but my first love was always um, the narrative work, right? So I'm now. Uh, tipping the scale again on that and so i'm getting involved much more again in, in, in great narrative films and try to put the commercial flipping that coin right so try to have a 60 percent of my work being more uh, narrative and now the other one being just commercial and so in that regard for a couple of years i put a bunch of added a bunch of new resources to my toolbox right 
And I have also a full-on production, post-production house in South America that which allows to independent, especially independent filmmakers to try to make their films in a more elevated production value with a very uh, feasible cost. And and in that, I'm developing a couple of projects like that that can be done that way. Yeah, and and your production house slash post-production house, that's in Paraguay? Yeah, that's in Paraguay. And it all goes through my own production company in New York. It's just an extended big extended resources that I have now. I'm, and just to be clear, I'm not trying to compete with bigger companies like Company 3 or Wild Child Pulse or things like that, where they're a day on, on the editing room, then it costs you like 20 grand. Those people, they don't even bother. They have the money. I'm talking about for the independent producers or someone who has like a, like a small movie from like a half meal to three million bucks, you know what I mean? That we can make those movies a much more elevated if the same reason why people go shoot movies in Atlanta that people yeah. go move show shoot movies in in Toronto they, they shoot movies in in Thailand they, that's the trend and in fact speaking of Thailand this is one of the things that Chris Hedford uh, had done with extraction they shot that movie for like pennies and it was like extremely well received an explosion it was an amazing movie it was like a complete explosion in in the box office right and they just put the movie in an exotic location they use all like a local crew with this pay yeah. this by pay the way speaking of movies shot in atlanta have you ever seen footage of tyler perry's film studio there's like a youtube Actually, video where they do like a he does like a, a tour of it I, like I, on a golf cart i've been on his, his studio actually it's pretty impressive, man. It, it's really great. I love see, this is another example. I love the guy for what have done because this is this is the perfect example of a filmmaker who perfectly knows his audience and he knows how to utilize all his resources to his best while giving jobs to so many people and opportunities to so many people. And he is a very smart businessman and a extremely. Good, yeah, and a very good filmmaker in the, in the sense of he really put the money where it needs to be and use it in a very smart way to cater to his end results. And, and and people love him. He's great. Yeah, he's a talented guy on many levels. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely have respect for him. Yeah, yeah. so just a roundabout. Yeah, like I'm coming back a little bit of my beginners. I've wearing a little more of my producer hat and and try to help people to develop a, a new project that I can be involved, not just as a, maybe a director or DP, but also like absolutely also as a producer and try to give you a another option and say, hey, what about this? I have this idea. Like right now I can tell you really quickly, like I have, I'm involved in a project that we're developing where like the 80% of the movie, it takes place on like various locations, but it's interior locations, right? And the 20% of the movies take place in, in, in New York. And there's like a scene by, and in, in, by the water and the ocean, like in Coney Island, there's an, a scene actually on Coney Island. And there's a scene where she's like happening on the subway and all that. And then the rest of the movie, it takes place in interiors. And it's a small movie, but I was just talking to the director and I said, look, I know you hire me as a, the cinematographer and all that, but I want to also give you a, a quick idea just to play around and we can talk to the producer partners and see what they think about. What if we shoot the 80% of the movie as it is, we can shoot it in South America. Cause, and I told them about all this uh, studio resources and equipment and people. And because you're, if we do that, we can actually afford to build the set the way that we want to do it. We actually can afford to have a, a full-on soundstage uh, that we just go to work and easy peasy we can actually have like actual 12-hour days without going crazy about it and at a just, fraction of the cost exactly so yeah. i just i just want to develop that and give that opportunity to to people and at the same time give the opportunity so many opportunity work opportunity to many other people and we can we can actually affl afford to fly down there and fly all the main actors and whatnot so that's I'm bouncing between that and two of my personal projects that I'm doing. Nice, man. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. I'm excited to see how that unfolds. And how could people follow along with the development of that or get in contact with you if they're interested in finding out more about that sort of thing? Yeah. The best way to get in contact with me is actually all my info is out there, right? So just on your website. As, as, as simple as typing my name, Ruben Rose, on Google or my actual website is rodasruben.com or skyframepictures.com. 
and you'll have all my information. I'm a big, you know me, I'm like old school, just call me. Yeah. I'll, I'll email and give me a quick call is like the best way to get in contact with me. And I'm happy to sit down and talk about experiences that I have and how maybe how can we work together. That's like what we want to do. right? Excellent. Now. And also one thing before we also shift gears is that I also know that you have experience working on one of Michael Mann's productions. You yes. worked on Miami Vice. Is that oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought, first of all, I thought I knew filmmaking until I met Michael Mann. Yeah. That's, and it truly is a dream come true. I grew up watching Miami Vice, the TV show, which I Fantastic fucking loved. Fantastic show. Don Johnson. I, yeah. I even have a jacket like Sony wants, like the white jacket that he has like with the company. Yeah. The, shoulder I'm an 80s kid right yeah yeah <laughs> so and um, amazing yeah it, the show is amazing and everything so quick long story short was that when I just moved to New York and I was going to New York Film Academy and then I was going back and forth with some family and paperwork and whatnot and one time I came back and my producer at the time said something about hey so-and-so is we were working at the time with this production company from Uruguay and that says hey the director Michael Mann is looking for locations in South America for his new movie he's gonna make his movie he's gonna make Miami Vice a movie and you want to go and take a look at it? And I said, sure, yeah, fuck yeah. I want to know the guy. And I went there and the truth of the matter is like they were working with another production company uh, that was based from uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And they didn't really quite understood some of the cultural things. And uh, Michael fell in love. He fell in love with this city, which is uh, in, in, in Paraguay. And uh, there's this city called the, the Ciudad de Leste, uh, and it, it sits really in the tri borders between Argentina, Brazil, and Paraguay. And it's beautiful, exotic nature and all that. And the city itself is so vibrant and all that. And he said, that this is the perfect location that I'm looking for the movie. And I just very boldly and ballsy of myself, really, like a step to the play. And I said, I can make that happen for you. I'm, I am uh, I'm a filmmaker. I'm here. I have my production company. And I speak the four languages. I know that I know the culture. And I know how things are done here and blah, blah, blah. And I corner him and what was his peer, his producer. And they say, yes. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, I just told the show. Did I just that's, told the show? And I was like, what the fuck? That's so, amazing. Yeah. And then now I'm like, I got to put, I got to put my money where my mouth is. So then I, I fall into this experience and I got to work with him and the whole development of the movie in terms of the location scouting and putting the scenes together, him and, and Dion Bibi, which is the three times Oscar winner cinematographer. And it was amazing. I'm telling you, I, that experience itself told me what real filmmaking is. I'm and, a huge Michael Mann fan. And I love him. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's fantastic. And this is the perfect sort of segue yeah. for our next segment, which I've been asking our guests to pick out a couple of their favorite movie scenes. It doesn't have to be like your two absolute most favorite scenes of all time, but just a couple of scenes from a couple of movies that you just love. Oh, yeah. And so the first one, we're going to talk about the movie Heat. Oh, yeah. Which is <laughs> just legendary. Amazing. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. If somebody hasn't seen Heat, I don't know what you're doing listening to this you podcast. Got, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, you got to watch the movie. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Heat is just epic. And it's also a filmmaker's sort of movie. It's yeah. cool. Like I... Val Kilmer is on it also. Val Kilmer. Yeah. And it has one a shootout scene in the film that it was just so epic. It is epic. Until today, it's like the most... I think it's considered the most realistic shootout I think, scenes I think ever. the Marine Corps or like certain law enforcement divisions actually watched this shootout scene yeah. to study like, hey, like if this scenario really happened, what would... Yeah, how would we react to it? If so, it's about it's centered on a group of bank robbers and the police officer that's trying to bring them down because they're doing these really high profile, high stakes, really intense bank robberies that involve automatic weapons. And this sort of thing was actually happening in Los Angeles, yeah, back in the day, especially in the 90s. But Michael Mann, his filmmaking. Is just the film is just incredible. So we're gonna talk about one scene that's famous with Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. Al Pacino plays Vincent Hanna, the main police detective yeah. that's trying to bring down Robert De Niro's character, who is the head of this robbery crew named Neil McCauley. So tell us a little bit about the scene. <laughs> and There's so many scenes, obviously, but that scene in particular is the one that I sent it to you because. 
needless to say is Pacino and De Niro working on the same scene is just it's fucking fantastic I heard so many stories like on set of people saying oh my god it was like it, it was just amazing to watch those two guys working but so it was shot scene- at Kate Madalini's diner forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that because I've never actually been to that diner but it's, it was shot at a diner in Beverly Hills and uh, there's just so many good things about the scene. I so oh, yes, yeah. tell us what, what what resonates with you. For what I really love about this, you know, again, needless to say, I had the chance to work with Michael, which kind of no pun intended. Even he, even me, maybe he didn't know this, but he became my mentor in filmmaking. So that was truly dream come, come true kind of thing. But what I like about the whole scene and his filmmaking style is like he makes it really real. Those two characters is like very relatable people. They're, these are like real people you look at each character they're like oh i know a guy like that it's so realistic and michael mann as a filmmaker talk about a guy that does his freaking research oh yeah this he goes down the rabbit hole you want to understand what filmmaking is about watch that try to track down the dvd with that movie and watch it with its audio commentary by the filmmaker michael mann where he talks about the characters he builds these elaborate backstories for his characters that I think are amazing. So there's a lot of stuff that you don't see on the screen that Michael Mann has worked out with these characters. It's so amazing. I can tell you from my experience working with him really quickly, just again, it's like when we were doing all those location scouts, he works with, he he walks with tape recorder, like an old school tape recorder. And he likes it. Oh, this point Vincent is a little like uh, uh, fed up with so and So he's coming to try to get a piece of pizza because he's like just hungry from all day. And then now he's notices that that, that, and he, he just goes on and on. It's amazing. I love but, that. And, and that's what I love. And I really learned uh, from him. It's like building the character. So anyway, and then the scene that we're discussing is, again, I love that for that reason because both character has so much depth. And yet what it resonates with me is the whole scene is each character is, they're sitting across each other, but it really is like they're looking at each other in the mirror. And it's, yes. and the dialogue is just so spot on. Each of them, they're like... So let's give some context for people who either haven't seen the film or, or haven't seen it in a while. Essentially, it's midway through the movie where Vincent Hanna, along with the police motorcade, actually pulls over Robert De Niro. It's not enough to bust him because he's not caught in the act of a bank right. robbery. And Robert De Niro's character, Neil McCauley, gives him a look like... Hey, what's up? Yeah, what's up? Yeah. Sort of thing. And Vincent Hanna says to him, like, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And he says, yeah, sure. Yeah. So then it cuts the scene, which is at this diner where they actually face off. And, this, and yeah. at fr- it's an amazing kind of progression of right. a scene. Because at first the scene is Vincent Hanna's character is trying to convince Neil McCauley, like, hey, give it up. Quit yeah, while you're ahead. Like, you exactly. don't need to do this. Yeah. And, and then it gets with typical Michael Mann faction, which I love. It gets existential where yes. he, they talk about philosophy. Like, like uh, Neil McCauley actually says, Robert De Niro's character says, don't let yourself get attached to anything you aren't willing to walk out in 30 seconds well, flat. If yeah, you feel yeah. the heat coming around the corner. Well, but, but even before that, right, before that, Pacino's character goes, hey, I did six years in a hole and blah, 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 and whatever and things like that. And then explaining to him is, I know where you're up to. I've been in a shithole. I know people like you and I don't like you kind of thing. And then you don't. Yeah, but there's no respect. There. It wasn't. No, no, I know. But, it was, but that was like for him to say him like, hey, I know what it's like to be you or think like you. And I can and I'm like trying to outsmart you. And like in a very polite way. And he has, both of them actually, has some kind of admiration for each other. Yes, right? they're both respecting each right. other as opponents. Right, but they're exactly. all, and also as professionals. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it. And then there's a point when, right before that, when he started talking to himself, so you never wanted like a regular life. And Pacino, then he was, what the fuck is that? Like barbecues and baseball games or whatever? Yeah, that. He says, and then Nichols like, no, is your life like this? And then the guy goes, my life? No, fuck no. My life is not like that. My right. Life is, and then so it's like, yeah, so you understand. It was like, you know, and he kind of, they kind of both nod, yeah, I guess. Yeah. There's and an it, acknowledgement there. And it progresses to, hey, we've met each other. Vincent Hanna says, I've we've, seen we've you. Face and to I, face. Yeah, we've, we've face, face to face. <clears throat> and I, I don't want to be in this position, but if I have to, yes. he's, I'm going to put you down. If it's you yeah. or some guy whose wife is going to become a window widow, 
brother, you're going down. Going down, yes. And then De Niro and then says, says, "There's a flip coin to yeah, that." Yeah, yeah. De Niro says, "There's a flip side to that." If I'm corner right, and if I have to put you down, brother, you're going down. I won't hesitate right. for a second. I won't hesitate, yeah. and it's so fucking it's so good. Great, it's it? so good. And then and it goes like, well, "So be it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's such a great. And then obviously, there's more to this scene in, in the cinematography itself. It's like it show you how really deeply instilled it's a very slow kind of like coming in like dolly yeah. in shot and stuff like that and then look it's just there's it's not just a cool. lot of two shots in it there's only like a split second of a yeah. two shot and then really it's mostly just one like one and one on each character just facing off sizing right. each other up and this really progression of at first Vincent Hanna is trying to tell Macaulay, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go yeah. down this route. He's giving him an out. Yeah. Give it up. Quit while you're ahead. Then it progresses. The, the kicker thing. for me is like when they say something about, he, he's telling him, don't take scores. And it's yeah. like, that's in, so it's like. He's warning him. Yeah. Straight up. And, and yeah. And he goes, that's all I know how to do. And, and so don't, you don't have to chase me. Don't chase me. And he was like, that's also. That's what, what I do. I don't yeah. know what to do. And it's like, okay, do you want to like, Quick way we are it? No. Well, neither neither do I. So do you want to? Neither do I. One of them so is they, they're understanding. Yeah, dramatically, yeah. it's actually perfect. It's genius because genius, dramatically, yeah. one of them is gonna go down at the end, and then how is it gonna play that's, out? That's why I say like when the more I, I look at, I kind of started that within the characters. Like the whole scene is really like each character they look at each other in the mirror. Yeah, they have this, such a great understanding of who is the person across the table, and also the very. The takeaway here is if you weren't a cop and if I weren't a thief, a thief, we probably will be best friends. Right. That's why I admire and I respect you. But I'm going to go and do my thing. You tr Quite literally, he's like, you try to stop me. I'll do it. And then at the end of the scene, that's what he says. Like, if it's going to go down, it's going to go down. But, oh, maybe we never see each other again. Let's see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. And then that's the end of the scene. And it's just brilliant. It's I perfect, mean, man. Yeah. That's it's, why it's, it's brilliant. I liked it, obviously, a lot. Yeah. It's, I had to. And... Of course, funny enough, there is this other scene, that, the other one I sent you from Collateral. Collateral. Okay, so that perfect segue because that is the other one that we're going to talk about. Yeah. I, although you, Ruben sent me a list, and I was really <laughs> tempted to talk about Once Upon a Time in the West, the opening, because that, that's incredible. Talk about that too. We, really maybe quickly, we could yeah. talk about like briefly about yeah, that yeah. later on. But so we're, now we're going to segue into Collateral, another film by Michael Mann starring Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, where I think that was one of the first films where... I almost worked in that movie, actually. And I, really? Oh, I just... Oh, really? Yeah. yeah oh, I couldn't. man, that movie was so good. I, it, was, it just wasn't in the cards. Yeah. <clears throat> and by the way, it was shot on a Sony Cine Alta. True. Yeah. Yes. One of, one of the earlier films, as far H as major HD motion movie. pictures, that yeah. was like shot on a digital camera. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And by the way, the fun fact, that's the first time they experiment with that. And what Dionne Levy was like, he took the phones, like like this, like this, the iPhone type of thing, and make his own sort of like LED panels, like around the taxi and everything. That's how he lit it and all. And Michael is a huge fan of very greedy, very like real. This is real life is like greedy and yeah. kind of dirty. Yeah. And yeah, and really a bold filmmaker for a pioneering sort of new techniques True. at a time when people weren't doing it yet. Like somebody had to do it. Michael Mann was one of the first to jump into the yeah. digital pool. And so let's talk a little bit about Collateral. Like on a high level, what is Collateral about? It's about a hitman that yeah, basically well, jumps into a taxi and he's so all night with a taxi driver. The way I see it, the way I always describe it, and I truly love this movie, is, it's just like a masterpiece really because... You have this very high-end concept in terms of very experienced kid placed by uh, Tom Cruise. And uh, he's been assigned to a job. For him, it's just a regular job, just an assignment. But he has a window time in which he has to accomplish his assignment. So uh, he, landed, he lands in L.A. and he reveals later, right, but he was like starting a couple of drives, but then he pick up Max, who is his, uh, Jimmy, Jamie Foxx uh, characters, right? And it took him up on along the ride. He basically says, uh, hey, man, how much money you make in a night. And he's like, I don't, I don't make that much money. I said, you know what? I'm going to pay you 600 bucks if you stay with me. I just, I'm in a business from town really quickly. I got to do like quick stops and get some people's signatures or whatever. And he's like, I don't know. Come on. Yeah, yes, you do. And then he convinces him and he give him like 300 in front, right? And he said, all right, fuck it. Well, I'll do it. And then he just, I'll meet you. Let me meet you around the, the block. And he goes and that's when he does his first hit. And the guy comes in 
And then that's also like Jamie Foxx characters like freaking out and all that. And they understand each other. Like, now he's not just a businessman. And then he's a hostage situation now. Right. He can't get out of it. And he goes assignment through assignment through assignment and things happen. But anyway, at some point of the story, Jamie Foxx's character has to go and impersonate Vincent's character to get the list, the, the rest of the list, because he, he was get rid of the list with the addresses. And he said, I need to finish my assignment or otherwise I'm going to kill you. And But he can't just walk in because he's such a one of those <clears throat> great characters as a hitman that he has just, it's like a ghost. Nobody knows really how what how, what he looks like. And uh, so he said, you got to go there and get me the list. So he goes, gets into the list, and then he come across this, I should say this, there was this detective played by Mark Ruffalo, by the way. It's a great character too. Yeah, and then he's, he is the one who solved the problem. Hey, it's been a series of murders all around the country. They always involve some kind of driver going in a, a killing rampage and then killing himself. That something just doesn't add up. And he figures figures it out figure it out. He's gonna get killed. Yeah. No so, matter what. So yeah, so he goes to try to rescue the driver, which is Jamie Foxx. And there's in this nightclub, and it's like an amazing, really great scene. And then as he's coming out, he's coming out with the police. So Vincent, I mean, Tom Cruise character, just drive off, show up, and kills the driver and say, come on, get inside, let's drive, let's go, let's get out of here, blah, 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 blah. And they go, right? And then go, and he's still in shock. Jamie Foxx is kind of in shock, and they say something about, uh, and he's just like, he's in shock. And then um, Tom Cruise goes, what a claustrophobic, blah, blah, whatever. He's just making this, some kind of comment. And Because at the beginning of the movie, he's like, getting very philosophical about we like just specs and space and the stars and basically saying that destiny is like crazy just like driving around uh totally a uh, aleatory in, in in this universe and blah blah, blah. so then jamie for snap about it and said what do you have to kill so and so who the funny that's the name of the guy what do you have to kill funny and then he goes who the fuck is funny it's the cop he was nice. He was nice to me. He believed me. He like have, maybe have a family. Was like, and it goes like, oh, so I don't. I only get to kill people after I met him and blah blah. So they go into this sort of discussion, and then he. What I like about this scene is that uh, it's a power shift of moving. It's all the powers with Vincent, which is Tom Cruise's character first, and then now Jamie Fox break the code and tell them how it is. Like yeah, Max that, is really questioning Vincent, yeah, di- like directly, and he's like, "Why did you kill him?" And then he's, "I don't know." He's, "I got hired." He's like, "Maybe there was some major federal indictment." Oh yeah, somebody on, major on somebody that invited. majorly doesn't want to get indicted. Yeah, which is a great line. It's, it's a it's a great line. And, and then he goes, like, "Who the fuck should I care?" That and then oh, and he goes, "Oh, that's oh something." Okay, I don't know where that. Sorry, there's some. Seems like probably. there's some construction going yeah. on in the background. And he goes, oh, that's it. He was like, no, that's the, and Vincent said, no, that's the why. There's no reason, there's no right reason or bad reason. That is the why, and that's what I do. So then Max has started really questioning, like, bullet shooting him, like, and on the moral level. And then he's listening. Nobody never talked to him that way before. Yeah, his react. that's a good yeah. point. Because when it cuts to Tom Cruise, and he, when he asks him, like, you're one of those institutionalized raised guys, right? And then it yeah. cuts to, like, his reaction, and this is a testament to Tom Cruise as an actor, but man, like his reaction oh. shot was just like, he doesn't say a word, but it's just fucking incredible. It's, it's almost like if a picture could say a thousand words, yeah. like just this shot of, yeah. it's a quick it's a quick shot, but it says a million words. Yeah, it's amazing. And I personally consider this by far, after Jared Maguire, this is the best role that he ever played. Amazing. Yeah, he crushed it in that and, role. And yeah, and then... And like, playing against type, right? Because he's playing the heavy in this yeah, picture. Yeah, like, he's playing a villain in a way where he's usually the another, good guy. Yeah, that's another thing. And then, and at one point, you, you really sympathize with the villain. Yes, like, when he, like, you when, find yeah. out he doesn't have a right, mom. They're like, they're all... He grew the, up without his mom. Both each other, they take in the laundry out. So then, essentially, he's... He, Max is calling him, you're full of shit. You pretend to be all tough and blah, blah, blah. It's just all full of shit. And then he really snapped out of it. Oh, I'm full of shit. And he says something about, I'm a full of shit. You're a monument of shit. Yeah. It's like, you look at you in the mirror, look at you clean cab and blah, blah. And it's how much money you got saved. Because he told him about one day, I'm going to get my limo company, whatever. And Tom Cruise goes on and on. He says, one day you're going to wake up like old and everything is turned down, never happened and never will happen because you're never going to do it anyway. You're like lazy fuck. You never, even that girl, you can even, you don't have the balls to call that girl and, and, and kind of punch line with saying, what the fuck you're still doing driving a cab anyway? And it, that 
takes it like max character goes also spoiler alert nobody fucking talk to me that way and then say and then like triggers him and oh he's you know what in a fucked up way he is right and then how he now he's in control now now, and it propels Max to take action yes. in a dramatic way for the first time in his life, whereas the end of the scene cr- like dramatically crashes, yeah. crashing into something, even though he had a gun pointed at his head. Because he knows, oh, and, and yeah, and that's why. Because like, he's slowed down. Max starts driving fast. Yeah, Max yeah. starts driving faster, and then Vincent says, slow down. Yeah, and and Max goes, is not slowing a, I don't, down. I don't care. And then, and like, then Vincent pulls a gun out on Max, yeah. and he's like, I don't care, shoot me. And yeah. then he crashes into something, which yeah. dramatically changes the events and then, of the film. And turn, yeah, turn the tables, yes, yeah. yeah. But anyway, but the whole scene is just brilliant. And, the, and also, and again, obviously, I look at it from also like the visual point of view and, uh, and those intense moments that you see the camera very slowly pushing in and everything and then as everything escalates, it gets like really clunky and thin and like you're really like in it in the moment. It, it's just brilliant. It's I mean, brilliant, man. And great the, film, another great one by Michael great. Mann. Yeah. Love Michael Mann. Yeah, yeah man. So... Ruben, really appreciate having you on the podcast. Thanks for joining today. I look forward to having you on in the future after some films get made in yeah. in Paraguay. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, th- thank you. I'm always I love talking about movies <laughs> <laughs> and making whatever we have the chance to do it. That's what it's all so, about, my friend. Yeah, I right, appreciate you, brother. Thank you, bro. Thank you for listening to the Film Situation Podcast with your host Seth Cota. Today's guest was Ruben Rodos. Executive Producer Jeff Cutler. Original music by Yuri Ryback. <laughs>